Switching to Shopify helps you sell smarter at every stage of your business. Take full control of your brand with your own custom online store. Wow, looks amazing. Find more customers with our easy-to-use marketing tools. Piece of cake. And let the best converting checkout on the planet do its thing. Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Switch to Shopify today for a $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Hello, and welcome to Wannabe, the podcast that takes you from where you are now to where you want to be in 30 minutes or less. I'm Imriel Morgan, founder of Content is Queen, a podcast community committed to amplifying diverse voices. Want to unleash your voice? Visit contentisqueen.org to discover our creator community and how we can take your podcast to the next level. Back to Wannabe. Season six is all about women in sport and fitness. Today, we have an extraordinary guest, Philippa Tatiette. Philippa is no stranger to breaking barriers, both in sports and business. She represented Wales in seven Six Nations Championships and the 2014 Rugby World Cup, all while establishing and running Female Builders and Interiors, the UK's first building company to offer an all-female workforce. Beyond rugby and construction, Philippa also shines as a pundit, offering her expert insights into the sport she loves so dearly. In this episode, we delve into how Philippa manages to blur the lines between work and play, building a business around her passion for rugby and taking responsibility from a very young age. Whether you're an aspiring athlete, entrepreneur or someone navigating the tricky balance of work and personal life, there is something in this episode for you. So let's get into it. Who did you want to be before you became who you are today and why? I always really looked up to my family and my father and my mother, both self-employed. And my father was a builder. He would work all the hours under the sun. But from that, we had a lovely family home and we would go on lovely holidays. And I always sort of looked up to that sort of, I guess, work ethic. But also I love that he loved what he did. And then similar with my mum, she was actually an air hostess. That oh, was, nice. um, Very yeah, which, you know, say. going back, <laughs> uh, you know, in, in the sort of the, the 80s was was quite a luxurious job to have. And and she absolutely loved it. Uh, but when my parents decided to have uh, children, she she stopped. I think I just started high school. So my mum would have been, you know, mid 40s. She went back to university and studied to become a counsellor. And at the time I thought like, OK, good on you. But I didn't really comprehend only now as an adult thinking, my God, the sort of education she would have gone through at her age and, that, you know, how massively things changed. You know, she had to teach herself how to use, you know, word processor on a, on a computer. And she went back to uni and studied and got a degree. I guess that attitude was something I really looked up to and, and admired. So, yeah, I guess my parents. Oh, it's beautiful. Would you say you have experienced or are experiencing that feeling with your work of being really happy and fulfilled and really enjoying it yeah I feel so lucky honestly I, I really do I remember reading a book it was uh, by Ben Bergeon he's a, a CrossFit trainer he talks a lot about living your life and being the best athlete you can be you need to be the best person you can be and his theory is blurring the line between work and play and if you can get that in your life that you don't realize you're going to work because it's a hobby or it's a passion or it's something you you love, then that's the dream. And my gosh, you know, when I'm commentating, I'm sometimes at 
you know, the best game of the year, a World Cup final. I've got the best seat in the house talking about a game I love to someone who's also loves the game. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting paid to be here. It's like, <laughs> wow, how is this work? It's not. So in that sense, I feel, yes, incredibly lucky. And then with my building career as well, to be able to have you know, gone through what, what at times was very, very challenging. I set it up in 2007 when we were going through a bit of a recession. So it wasn't the best time to set up a yeah. business, but came through that. And it's still surviving today through lockdowns and COVIDs and everything. So to have that, which is a complete difference then if I'm what I'm doing on a Saturday or Sunday with sport to then on a Monday running a, you know, a building job or an extension or something completely different. But I love the difference. It sounds very nice. Sometimes I feel like I have those moments and then they disappear. But I actually did want to touch on your building work because I had listened to one of the podcasts that you commentate on and they gave your bio and it was like this very long, yeah. <laughs> long <laughs> yes. decorated list. And then it was like, oh, and she also yeah. runs a construction business. And I was yeah. like, I need, <laughs> I need to understand. And whilst I definitely want to get to rugby and the sport tell me about because I I knew you mentioned your dad works in construction so I can see like the obvious now it makes sense and the obvious links are there but maybe just kind of explain why um, and and how that came to coexist with your work in sport yeah so it was very much family driven my father was a builder my grandfather was a builder oh wow so I'd always yeah I'd always sort of grown up around it and it was really the day I wanted pocket money I remember asking my father quite early on actually I think I was only about five or six and I said you know I want some how do I get this pocket money thing and he said well you've got to earn it and as I mentioned my father bless him he'd work all the hours under the sun especially when we were young and he was sort of setting up so on Saturdays school holidays I'd go to work with him and I didn't do anything really constructive for the first couple of years but I think it was just ingraining that work ethic of you've got to get up on a Saturday morning we've got to get out we go to site And I literally, I just spent all the time cleaning up because that was the only sort of safest (laughs) thing I could do was tidy and cleaning. But, you know, I loved it. I loved that sense of, I guess, a bit of responsibility at a young age, you know, is is quite good. And I loved the practical element of it. I didn't really ever think about it as a career. It was just something I did on the holidays, weekends, earned a bit of money. And I did it all the way through my educations. And it was only really when I was at uni. And I actually did a, a business communications course. I did a modular where they said, you know, write a, a business plan. It can be about anything. And I did it on a all-female building company. Oh, wow. So I thought there's no one out there doing it. And everyone was always so shocked when I said, you know, being like in my lectures and people, you know, would be saying, oh, we've got like two or three hours off now. What are you doing? And I'd be like, oh, I'm going down Mrs. Jones's to plaster a ceiling. And they'd be <laughs> like, what? You're doing what? You know, whereas they just go to a coffee shop and do a couple of hours. So I sort of realized then that, the skills I'd learned over the years could be quite valuable and I could actually use it as a career. So I wrote this business plan. My lecturer at the time sort of pulled me aside and he said, you know, if you seriously, if you can do this, you should really think about it. And at the time, the Welsh government was offering grants to post grads in Wales if you wanted to set up your own business. And it was quite substantial. It was about seven or eight thousand pounds wow. released over, a, you know, I think it was a two year term. So I applied for that and, and I won it. Nice. Uh, Congrats. Yeah. So in 2007, Female Building and Interiors was born. What a wonderful start. And so tell me how rugby coincides with this. Yes. And how, how do they coexist? Did they need to for you in order for them both to work? Like, is it more that you wanted them to coexist or is it actually in some ways they needed to coexist for you to kind of 
thrive and living, etc. It's a bit of an interesting one, actually, because I played rugby during an amateur era. So at times, unfortunately, they couldn't both exist. So I first learned to play rugby, actually, at university. Classic girl of the 90s, you know, I played netball, hockey, athletics, like literally a little (laughs) bit of football was coming in, but it was still very strange. You know, girls play football, what's going on? But rugby, no chance, you know? Mm -hmm. So went to uni and the great thing about university, isn't it? You go to that sports freshers fair and there's sports you've never even heard of. And by the time I graduated from uh, university, I got involved with like a regional team. So I was kind of on that pathway to, to working up. And then it was around the same time I launched my business and I was sort of in like Wales A, which is like a development squad. So they're sort of nurturing you to make that next step, which was incredible. And I loved it. But I found that I was trying to set up my business and, you know, female building interiors at the start was just me. You yeah. know? <laughs> I was admin. I was marketing. I was seeing the jobs. I was doing the jobs. It, it literally was all on my shoulders. And yet then around that, I was trying to train three or four times a week in a, in a sport that's very physically demanding. And I just found I was struggling quite a bit. I wasn't enjoying the rugby. And I wasn't concentrating enough in the building because there was just so much going on, so much to get my head around. So I made one of the hardest decisions, actually, up until that point in my career, at least, was that I knew, you know, these were two massive things. And if I was to make a go of either of them, I needed to prioritise one. So I stepped away from rugby and I focused purely on the on the business. It grew then over the next couple of years and I managed to find a couple of more women in Cardiff that were working in the industry that we would team up together And slowly but surely it sort of grew. And then it was only about probably about five or six years later, because I'd always kept in in contact with my friends who had played rugby when we were like in Wales A and stuff. And I'd see on their like social medias, you know, that in the Six Nations, they were going to World Cups. and, And as amazing as it was, and I was so happy for them, I just had that little thing in the back of my head was just like, oh, I wonder, you know, if you hadn't stopped playing, like, would you have ever done that? Could that be me? And I was so happy with my business. And I had a couple of TV opportunities through the building, which was brilliant and, and really different and challenging. But I just, I couldn't get rid of that, that feeling in the back of my mind. And the business has got to a point where I had people working with me. And if I needed to, to go away for a couple of weeks, it would still operate and it would mm-hmm. still cope. And I was 27, 28 at the time. And I thought, you know, if you don't do it now, you're, you're never going to do it. And you've got a long time to work. You've got the rest of your life to work. You've mm-hmm. only got a short window to play sport to that sort of level. Mm-hmm. So I literally, I went right back to my first club, had to start on the bench again. Wow. You know, probably <laughs> the person on the bench, like right back at the beginning. But it was brilliant. And I, to be honest, when I started back, I didn't have the ambition of playing for Wales again. I just wanted to play. I just wanted to get back to playing rugby. I really enjoyed the challenge of it. Slowly but surely, I, I sort of worked my way back through the ranks and then ended up then 29-30 playing rugby for, for Wales and managing to, to run the business. I definitely empathise with like just the mammoth amount of work and the mental burden of running a business just like knowing that you have to wear all of these hats because there's no one else there to do it for you and until you have enough money you can't really outsource a lot of these jobs and then also just parking what was a dream that you were kind of progressing so well in and then actually saying 
no, I think there's still something here. And going back and starting from the beginning, so many people would not even allow their pr- their pride would not allow them to start from the beginning. And I suppose with sport, we are often told, or at least the public perception is that it is about being youthful and young and everything is about like being of a certain age and actually what you're saying is you took a break for five or six years and you could literally come back is it a testament to rugby that there is actually just like a bigger window of opportunity or is it really more of a testament to you and your again this work ethic that you kind of harken back to your family what do you credit it to I think it's important what you said first of all about ego and pride because that is huge And a lot of people, I think, get confused sometimes between pride and pride is important. Pride is you want to do the best of your ability at all times. That's important. Ego can catch you out. Ego can actually be that quite negative voice in your mind that says, don't ask that question. You should know the answer to that. Oh, no, don't go then talk to that person. They're not important. Ego can be really limiting. We all have this voice that's constantly talking. And that voice can be your biggest motivator or it can be your biggest ball and chain if you don't keep it in check. And it's so subtle. It's very clever. It can sometimes be subtle little messages that you say, you know, the first thing you do, you wake up and you look in the mirror in the morning, what's your headset? You know, be aware of it, you know, and it's not all about us being, you know, Mr. Motivator waking up in the morning, going, you are amazing. You are going to kill today. You go get it, girl. Like, it's not about that. But it is about being in check and just being aware to if it's something a little bit negative, why is it a bit negative? And does it need to be? And when I decided to go back to rugby, I had a manager at the time who sort of like, she couldn't really understand. She was like, well, how much do you get paid to play rugby? I was like, ha, get paid? No, 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 no. I said, it's going to cost me to play. But she couldn't understand it. I was like, look, I know it doesn't make financial sense, but this isn't a financial decision. I loved playing rugby. It made me feel alive in a way that nothing else had. It was so encompassing. I loved the fact that when I was on the field, literally nothing else in the world mattered. Nothing. Good, bad, whatever. I was so engrossed in the game, in the moment. You talk about, you know, so many people say live in the moment, yet we find it so hard to find things that that catch us in that way. And I knew that rugby did that for me. I also think as well, being older helped me. Because when I was younger, I had that kind of quite typical, I guess, attitude of I wanted to be the fastest, the fittest and score the most. That was it. But note how none of those three things were about being a team player. They were all me, me, me. Was actually, especially from setting up my business and working with people, I realized the way to get the best out of me is for me to be able to get the best out of others and to be working in a team environment. And yes, I'm going to push myself and I'm going to try and do the best I can but I'm going to bring you with me and I'm going to challenge you as well. And I sort of was able to take that attitude then when I was a bit older into rugby and rather than just solely focusing on my training session, what I'm doing, it was almost like the blinkers were off and I was far more aware of my teammates and even just simple things like who was turning up, not looking right. You just going over and be like, you okay, but how's your day gone? What, what have you been up to? I would never have noticed anyone when I was younger. You just don't. You're just like so tunnel vision. And I think having that attitude also took the pressure off a bit as well, being a little bit more focused on on the team around me. And I think it allowed me to enjoy. And I was very much a case of, yeah, if I progress, great. If I don't, if I'm going to just be the best regional player I can be, 
fantastic. It sounds like all of the right things. You took the pressure off the achievement or you reset the goals and reset what was important about the game. As you're progressing, were similar strains that you were experiencing earlier on in your career where you had to make that decision to step away? Were those things starting to crop up even though the business was doing well and self-sustaining in lots of ways? What was happening then? And can you describe how you were dealing with it mentally and even physically? Uh, Yeah, I did find it a bit of a juggling act. I think it wasn't so much actually with the work the work was okay you'd have the odd case rarely when something went wrong on site and i'm out of the country so then i'm on the phone in between training sessions trying to get the various trades i need to be on site but that was very rare but the juggling act more came actually with private life and say that it was the hardest the last two years of my career because at that point we were training to go towards the commonwealth games with the welsh sevens team so we were playing in sevens tournaments all over the world in preparation for this which just meant I was out of the country a lot and training a lot and trying to see family, friends, make weddings, birthdays, anything was just really hard and very difficult when you've been so busy for such a long period of your life. It's almost like people accept in your 20s because they think, oh God, yeah, you know, you're doing this, you're doing that. But when you're creeping into your 30s as well, I think Although people were understanding, inevitably, some friends would be disappointed if I I couldn't make things. And that was probably the hardest part of it all, was missing things like that. And as much as you think, yeah, but now, you know, I'm in Dubai and I'm playing rugby sevens in front of 50,000 people and all that is amazing. But then when you strip it back, the most important people in my life are my family and my close friends. And when you do miss a birthday or a wedding, you know, I've missed some pretty big things, that does taint things. And actually, since I've retired, my biggest emphasis on any adaptation to my life has been to spend more time with family and friends. Hang tight. Coming up, we delve deeper into Philippa's life post-retirement, her transition into commentary, and how she juggles all of these roles while being an all-round fantastic person. Let's get straight back into it. To go back into the playing of rugby and when you're at the top of the game and you're traveling all over the world and you're living, quote unquote, the dream, what does it feel like? What is the experience like? Can you describe it? Because I'm certainly not going to be at the top of any sport anytime soon, but it would just be nice to know just to have a little window in. (laughs) Just amazing. And I think I reflect more on my last year because I also think there was an element of me. Well, it was. I I knew it was going to be my last year the commonwealth games was my goal and i was like if i get there then that will be it i i can gosh i can hang my hat up with immense pride because this is way above beyond what i ever thought i'd achieve and having that in my head sort of made me then even more appreciate every step i just remember this overriding feeling of i love to be challenged and for me i was in this environment where every single day you were monitored now, to some people, they're like, oh, my God, that's horrendous. It does me, sound terrible. <laughs> yeah, I know. But you know what? <laughs> my me. parents even joke if from a young age, right? They would always say they'd have this thing. It would be like, race me, time me, test me. That's all you used to say all the time. Race me, time me, test me. Wherever I was, I wanted, how long will it take me to run to there and back? I always remember by the, like, the swimming pool on summer holidays, I'd dive in and I'd get my parents to mark me out of 10 right? Wow. But I'd stop asking. I know it makes me sound a little funky, doesn't it? But it was all in jest. It and I, I promise you, I was having a good time. the picture of someone that is really driven. <laughs> but I used to love that then, that literally every day you would have these sessions that would challenge you physically, challenge you mentally. 
and then you'd be in an environment where you'd have your rehab, you'd have your nutrition and knowing that I had the opportunity to take my mind and my body to the absolute limit. I think like that's so lucky. I feel so lucky to have had that, to have known that I got to, to get my body to the strongest, fastest it could possibly be. Not many people get that. And that's so brilliant that I got to do that. And I just, I loved just every day of that, that environment. And you have to, because that is the elite sort of cutthroat level of it. You have to be up there all the time especially with what I was playing rugby sevens, because it's renowned as quite um, a, a fitness sport, quite taxing, quite grueling. A lot of people are known that they're insane if they like playing rugby sevens because it's so hard. And it is insane and it is hard, but it's also amazing and addictive. So you had to be constantly pushing your, your body to be able to sort of play the sport. But yeah, that's what I, I loved. And as much as I talk about, like I was at the top level because I was playing for Wales, the strange thing is, as much as I love that in regards to the environment, so the training, the support, the monitoring, all of that was amazing. Actually, you know, when some people say to me, like, what's your your best memory of, of playing? I kind of have to be careful how I answer it, because to a certain extent, I'm not going to jump straight away and just say, oh, when I was playing for Wales, dot, dot, dot. Because actually some of the best rugby memories I have of, of the pure rugby play, I'd struggle to even remember what badge was on my chest. Because I played for a lot of different teams. And to a certain extent, it didn't matter to me who I was playing for. My pride would always make sure I played to the best of my ability, regardless of whether it was a club, it was a region, it was Wales, or like an invitational team. So sometimes you get invited to play for clubs. It was about the rugby. It definitely sounds like getting to elite sport level is a lot. But I also love that you said you're in it for the love of the sport. You're like, I'm not in it for the glory. I actually just genuinely find joy in this sport. I have a question related to being at elite level. Did you find that even across ages that whilst there, did people have like a similar mindset or similar character traits that meant that they were just driven or determined to be at that level? Or did you actually find that there was a real mix of personality traits? Yeah, I think there's always a common ground of competitiveness because there has to be, no matter how much talent you've got, unless you want to beat the person next to you, you won't rise to that position but work ethic does vary and it does sometimes coincide with natural ability and you are always aware of these people and management are always aware of these people and it's frustrating because there's a saying hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard and it is true because to a certain age talent will get you noticed it will get you through the door but you'll get to a level where you're as talented as the person next to you but if they've had to work twice as hard as you, then that's not them working hard. That's just them now. That's their attitude. That's how they process every single day. They're working hard. Whereas all of a sudden, you now, you're going to find that massive jump if all of a sudden you've got to try and start working hard. And I think it's a lifestyle thing. So that is my main message for any youngsters starting out. Yes, you know, play rugby, hone in on your natural skill set. And we all have things that we're naturally better at than others, but never ignore the, the things that you're not so good at and work hard. Hearing how you said it has really opened up some thoughts of me because I was like, I've actually just never heard it put like that. I have a question that I feel like I want to ask it of you. And don't take it the wrong way. This is like meant in the best possible way. But okay. <laughs> where do you get your audacity from? My family sometimes joke. They say I live in a bubble world because I have this little thing around me and in here is my family, my friends, and maybe the things that I'd like to do or achieve or opportunities I'd like to look for. 
But to be honest, beyond that, you do you. And if you're not hurting or affecting negatively anyone I care about or love, then I can quite easily say, you do you, you carry on, do your thing. And I don't overthink things too much. You know, I did ITV uh, World Cup, which was amazing, brilliant. I had friends saying to me, but you were, you were live on TV and there were a couple of million, like listening. Uh, yeah. Oh my God, didn't that freak you out? Like I didn't think about it. What's the point of thinking about it? Like I just didn't think about it. What I need to think about is the game and explaining it in the best way possible to engage the audience and give them some insight into what's happening. That was my pure focus. That was my role. That's all that was in my bubble at that time. Beyond the bubble, the three million listeners didn't matter. So I think it's that. It's kind of not a, this is a big, crazy thing I'm going to do, and this is how I'm going to do it, and blah, 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 blah. It's more, well, actually, let's strip that big, crazy thing back. I want to do this. Well, what is that? Well, it's just this, this, and this. Okay, well, how should I get there? Well, I might need to do this, this, and this. Okay, and don't think too much about the other stuff. I actually like that a lot. It makes it feel easier to to be audacious when you're like, mm, I just don't need. I just need to focus on the the one pure thing, like the one end outcome yeah. that needs to come of this. What was that transition like from playing to commentating? What did you have to do to prepare for that that work? So I guess I transitioned quite quickly. Actually, I was very lucky. Literally after the Commonwealth Games, I retired, and the WIU put a, a press release saying that I was retiring, and it fell on the desk of a gentleman called Hugh Tal at the BBC Wales he was director of sport at the time so he got in touch and just said you know I've seen you retiring what are you thinking of doing now have you thought about anything in sports media I thought gosh no I hadn't but of course brilliant new exciting opportunity so I met up with him and we had a chat and uh, there's a quite a popular rugby program here in Wales called Scrum 5 it's just chatting about the you know the rugby of the week and, and he said well maybe we'll we'll start you on that see how you find it if you enjoy it and we'll go from there and I did and I was so nervous even though you'd done tv stuff before was it just the change of content <laughs> yeah and there weren't many women I think I might have been the first ex-player to appear on the show but you know what was amazing and this is actually what made me want to do it more before I even got started I'm sat on this sofa and the presenters are there and the producer, I guess, comes in front of the cameras and he said, right, we're going live on air in three, two, one, right? And when I retired from rugby, one thing I thought, I'm going to miss the feeling in the tunnel, right? When you're lined up, it's full of nervous energy. There are players that are bouncing, some are just solely focused. And it's just the most amazing mix of nerves and excitement. But you know what? I'm sat on this sofa and I had these nerves. And then he counted down like that. And then these lights came up and I went, oh my God, like there's that feeling, this mixture of nerves and excitement. And I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what questions they're going to ask me, but I've, I've prepared as much as I can. And you know what? We're talking about a game I love. So all else fails. I just talk about the game I love. And feeling that I was like, I want to do more of this. And the show went, well, we talked about rugby, you know, so it's, it's, it's what, I, what I know. And really from that, someone saw me on that. And then they asked me to do a game with BBC Five Live uh, Radio, which was huge. And that was my first Six Nations game. From that, it was the World Cup 2019. So I sort of had a nice run into that. And I did some work there. And, and one thing sort of led to another. So I've adapted my style. And then just always asking for feedback, speaking to other co-commentators or lead commentators, so the people who, who run the game, and just say, you know, how do you prepare? What sort of things do you write down? But I mean, all of that overarching is awareness. You know, bringing awareness. I could be there and just be 
having a coffee and having a chill and just chatting whatever but if you've got the awareness of constantly want to just listen and pick up then you will it hasn't got to be like a sit down meeting right let's discuss preparation you know it can just be just be aware of how people are doing it so the final question what is the best advice you've ever received and what is the worst advice you've ever received being a a female in in a minority sport and also in a minority industry of construction i i go to a lot of women in construction and, and women in sport and it's all very rallying and very positive but i find sometimes the message can go a little too far for me in that some people say you know if you're the minority you need to scream and shout and you need to put your hand up and, and every opportunity you get known and blah, blah, blah. And I guess for some people that might work. But I think the worst advice is generic advice because we're all so individual. You are the only expert in you and you know what is right for you. And yes, guidance is important. Support, motivation is important. But being told this is the way you should do it, I think is just the worst advice you can ever have. And then the best advice my dad would always say, spread a bit of happiness. You can apply that to any aspect of your life. I always remember this one time we finished a job together and we went back on a Sunday morning to this job. And I was like, I thought we were finished. And he said, oh, we are finished. But the old boy, he, he can't get down out of the back door very well. It's a bit of a step. So we're just going to put in a little step for him to, to step down. And I was like, oh, all right, okay. So we did it anyway. The gentleman at the time, he came out and he was like, oh, hello, what are you doing here? And dad was like, oh, look, I just put this step in for you. And the guy was so like chuffed that we'd come back and put this step in. I didn't even know that it wasn't part of the job. Dad had just got up on a Saturday morning and thought about, oh, you know what, I should have done this, but we could make it even better. Let's just put a step in for him. And he spread a bit of happiness. And that has always stuck with me. That's fantastic. I love that. Thank you so, so much for your time. How incredible is Philippa? I genuinely, genuinely needed that conversation today. Her journey from rugby field to the construction site and then to the commentary box is truly one for the books. She reminds us that life doesn't have to be limited to just one passion. You can excel in multiple arenas. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Wannabe. If Philippa's story resonated with you, please do consider sharing it with a friend or family or anyone that you think might enjoy it. The world needs more multidimensional stories of grit, determination and triumph like this one. Remember to follow us on your favourite podcast player and on Instagram at contentisqueenhq. Until next time, bye. This is a Content is Queen production, hosted and produced by me, Imriel Morgan, editing by Joseph Perry, sound design by Amber Miller, and production assistant by Shirai White. Dun, 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 dun.